0: Welcome to the Smoking Rope Podcast, the show that brings together Michigan's top cannabis growers, advocates, and business owners to offer a fresh and honest perspective of Michigan's cannabis industry. Stick with us to get the lowdown from the people who've been on the ground floor of cannabis business in Michigan and gain insights into where the industry may be heading. Welcome to the Smoking Rope Podcast. Today we got episode... 76 i'm your host ryan basor and back on the show the outlaw josie scoggin josie thanks for being back on
1: thank you guys for having me <laughs>
0: all right tom up in real leaf what's going on behind you
2: uh a portal is opening in the wall apparently <laughs>
0: oh, what's nice. going
2: on hi josie hi tom what happened to kevin
3: I can't get my screen to fix.
0: (laughs) Uh, I'm here. Okay, well, we can see true, and uh, Kevin's here. Kevin, what's happening over there?
3: Not much. I'm just trying to figure this out. I screwed up, but uh, I'm getting it worked out here. All right, all right. So Josie's back. Uh,
0: She's obviously been on the show a couple times and was on the telethon last week. Had a 10-minute slot. We got to... Learn a lot about what was going on. And thanks everyone that participated. Thanks uh to uh Tom and Kevin and the other uh the other podcast. That was a great success. We raised a lot of money. We'll be doing it again, 420. Uh start hitting us up if you wanna get a slot. Times will sell out. And you know, I wanted to just have Josie back on to talk about all the cool things that she's uh she's doing with uh with the redemption foundation great lakes expungement network and also sons and daughters united and then anything else you cool you're doing that we don't know about josie so thanks josie for coming on and why don't you uh tell us about the uh, the holiday shopping drive
1: sweet thanks for having me this is our sixth annual uh, holiday drive this year, we teamed up with the Redemption Foundation. And like everything the Redemption Foundation does, it was bigger and better than ever before. Um, we reached out we were able to help 17 families across the state this year. Um, the cannabis industry is a pretty easy industry to fundraise in, in terms of finding compassionate business owners and people that want to get invested in their community. Um, If you have a cannabis shop and you are looking at ways to beef up your social equity plan, hit us up. There's a lot of really great ways to get involved um, with some things that you're already doing. We teamed up this year with a variety of new shops. So every year we team up with people like Herbology um, and the Botanical Company. And this year we also added Nobo and Dudes Abide uh, Abide, um, and Stone Depot to our crew. Our friends at Relief threw in a very hefty donations, or real leaf, sorry. <laughs> um, it was super generous. And Krista, believe it or not, but Krista did a birthday fundraiser for us on Facebook. If you guys are looking for some fun ways to make um, some extra funds for your favorite nonprofits, make sure that you do a birthday fundraiser or a personal fundraiser. Um, we get 100% of these funds. And also it lets your friends know what organizations mean the most to you.
0: Thank you, Josie. Why don't uh, d- dive in a little bit about what those uh, 16, 17 families are gonna get, some of the stories uh, of, of how it's helping people. So, uh, and you know, we went out shopping a few Fridays ago. That was fun. I know I was only there for an hour. So, and you've done it probably about 40 hours. So just what's the process like? How does it work? And you know, how, give us some examples of the way um, We're going to be helping people.
1: Yeah. So when I started Sons of Daughters United, when we started Sons of Daughters United, I thought it was going to be cool or fun or like rewarding in some way. Um, But it's sad. And the people I meet are sad. And the shit we do is sad. And everything um, that they're going through is difficult. And there really isn't a solution or or outlooks um, that are easily accessible or sustainable. So what we do is we, um, every holiday season, we find people who already qualify for other grants that we're doing. So our two main grants are um, our Renee Wolf uh, Memorial Grant, which helps people with disabilities obtain medical equipment, um, m- I use like medicine, doctor's visits, anything like that. And then our family connection grant, which pe- people whose loved ones are incarcerated, uh, connected through j pay payments, travel expenses, stationery, things like that. So when you sign up, um, you have to have either a disability or somebody in your household incarcerated. You're automatically enrolled into these programs, so um, everyone that came to us was an incarcerated parent, and 1 in 12 children have an incarcerated parent sometime over, um, over the year, which is a staggering number. Um, we automatically enroll you with that we pay for travel expenses of the whole shebang and then for people with disabilities so this year we had a a young lady who is 23 she has parkinson's uh which is a struggle on her own but also a three-year-old son um and so i i went over there i met her she's sleeping on her couch because she has to sleep setting up so i talked to ryder i was like why don't we buy her a bed so we bought her an adjustable hospital bed uh we had a girl who was wide and she's trying just like like Sighted Children, she's learning the alphabet. Um, but there aren't a lot of toys that are either accessible or affordable uh, that can teach the Braille alphabet. So we invested almost uh, $1,500 just in Braille learning utensils. Um, these are things that other places aren't doing, right? So if you go to the Salvation Army, um, which is a very, I, I love what they do, and I love that it's an accessible organization in most communities, uh, but they're not really personalizing it but they're also not getting the things that that the kids need um something that we discuss a lot is when something like this happens like incarceration or moving the first thing to go is is the kids shit right like no one's carrying it on with a bunch of toys and, and, and bogus stuff, that's always the first thing to get gone. So for some of our families, for one family in particular, um, reemerging from incarceration after a drug arrest, uh, three children just moving into our first forever home, no beds, right? I mean, she was like, all the kids want sleepy bags. I was like, what kind of sleepy bags do they want? She's like, I don't care, we're sleeping on the floor. Ryan was like, let's buy beds. That's been his thing the whole time. Um, so it's, it's really, creating lifelong change right these are beds that are going to be used for the next 10 years these are quotes um that the kids will wear for years to come and also it's that it's that memory of uh some of these clients last christmas so every year we have a couple of clients that we um, we don't get to see next year so when we're creating something that is uh, all-encompassing and it does all this stuff, and this is what I get a lot, like how do people with disabilities and people who are incarcerated get linked into the same mission, right? Um, And the idea is these are two groups of people who rely on policy and and really the government for everyday life. These are also, interesting enough, what were the two most highly affected uh, groups the pandemic it was people with disabilities and people who are incarcerated again these are the people that are dying at higher rates these are the people that are getting um infected at a higher rate and the reason is because the laws and policies that are in place are not there to protect them or to create a lifestyle where they can thrive so sons and daughters create safety nets um, to kind of make up where uh, people are falling through the cracks
0: thank you for uh thanks josie and i love hearing you talk about it and you know it's been a pleasure to be a, a part of it this year and next year we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna plan six months ahead and we're gonna we're gonna knock it out of the park and let's get 50 families and we should really get it all over the state uh you know as well so wanted to also touch on the great work we're doing with uh great lakes expungement network uh And that was really uh, me and you talked on the phone and uh, I told you, you know, told you we want to expunge records and you were like, all right, let's do it. And you took the ball and run and ran. And of course, we had incredible help from Josh Covert and Covert Law and everybody over over here, there um, in the office and along with Paul Tillin and others. So just kind of take us take us to the beginning of Glenn and what we've been doing. uh, So everybody knows.
1: Oh, I'm so proud this is like the best year i've done a lot of really cool stuff i've been at the right place at the right time in a lot of situations um i legalized marijuana i thought that was going to be the coolest thing i ever did right um but this has by far been the best experience of my life there is a question on whether or not ryan hit me up and said hey i want to expunge some records of Bit harbor or hey josie create a expungement program um but i am so proud I'm proud of two things, right? I'm proud to be a part of an organization that really gets it. Um, Even if I pay for your attorney and fill out the application, you probably still don't have the money to get fingerprinted or to get the notary or to pay the application fee itself, right? Um, But a lot of these, there's zero full service expungement programs that are in existence in the state of Michigan besides us. Um, This means we pay for the whole process. We walk you through it. Um, This idea that we have, which is, hey, you could go do this by yourself is embarrassing, right? It's difficult because I have eight attorneys, eight law firms with multiple attorneys who don't agree on the process and nothing is really of um, the same in each county. We've expunged, we have over 300 clients. We have a 100% success rate with misdemeanor marijuana expungements. That means if you were caught smoking weed in your grandma's basement in 94, hit me up. I'm going to expunge all of your misdemeanor marijuana stuff without a... Blinking an eye Uh, but we do more than that right because the idea is 70% of people who go through the system go back into the system so once you get caught popped for marijuana at some point in your life you're probably going to get caught for something else Um, and so this idea that we would just do marijuana crimes didn't really sit well with Ryan or myself the idea was hey, these people are affected by cannabis permission. They ended up in court here because of their cannabis use. Um, how can we expunge these records, right? Through this, we have built a phenomenal team of attorneys, criminal defense, uh, criminal defense attorneys, uh, volunteers. So 100% of our volunteers at the network went through the program, said, hey, this is the shit. I want to do this too. And then came on board. And not only are they raising money, they're pulling records. They're working on this on a day-to-day basis. Um, and the only the only contribution, or the only, uh, the only thing they're really getting out of it is to be a part of something that is much bigger than ourselves. right? So every day I get a phone call from somebody. Kevin called me a couple weeks ago and said, Josie, it happened. They expunged all my marijuana crimes. And the thrill... In the joy, he said, I gotta go. I gotta." I said, what, you gotta call more people and tell them. He said, yes, <laughs> um, but this is something that I'm proud of, that our team is proud of, that the companies we work with are proud of. But most importantly, this is something that our clients, their families, their friends, their aunties are proud of. This is something that they're talking about at their holiday table. Hey, um, what's new with you? Oh, nothing, just record free um (laughs) congratulations on that by the way kevin i'm so excited
3: thank you thank you so much
1: i think sorry i'm always talking like i never stop talking that's why they when you call the great lakes expungement network it's me on the other end because i just talk the whole time but um i think we are in such a revolutionary period here in michigan and um across the united states where we're really looking at the incarceration rates and the way that they affect a number one the people that are incarcerated But number two, the families and the support systems that surround them, right? Because that's really who's hurting, as the people on the outside who committed no crimes. Um, And a lot of times, these people that are on the inside also committed no crimes, statistically speaking. Um, I'm so excited to work directly with the Great Lakes Expungement Network, but also to grow with the Expungement Network. Uh, which is something that I've, I've actually had the privilege to do my whole life, right? Like I started this at 14, um, I went to the MICIA galley, uh, or gala, and they were like pulling up pictures of my 15th birthday. I was like, put those away. No <laughs> um, but I'm really blessed to grow up and evolve with, with such progressive organizations And then to be able to do the one thing I've always wanted to do, right? Which is provide resources for people who otherwise would have done. This is the coolest thing I've ever done. I would not be able to do it without people who are a number one funding it, obviously. um, But also without people that are committed to it and that believe in it. So being denied for, I mean, Kevin, I don't know how many times you probably got denied for expungements, but but most people, about 87% of people in the last expungement period, we're not eligible at all, and less than five percent went through with expungement, right? Um To be denied for decades and still have the courage to go out and apply and try again, that's what keeps it rolling. That's the heart and soul of it, right? These are people who have been, who never got to go to a daddy-daughter dance, who never chaperoned a field trip, who have... Who are geniuses and educated and have the ability to do all of these things but will never exceed in the places where their skills meet uh, just based on a criminal record that they acquired at any point in their lives but usually uh, before they were 25 right Um, so I'm just so appreciative to be a part of real change I want everyone to go out there and make Great Lakes Expungement Network your charity on Amazon Smile we get of all the purchases that you make. Just shop like normal. Um, Go shoot us a donation on Facebook. Uh, We get 100% of those donations too. Or if if you have a cannabis company and you are really looking at ways to stand out and to exceed in your social equity plan, hit us up. Not only do we provide this service in every single county in Michigan, um, but we provide this to people who are local, who shop at your stores, who know who you are. So I'm just really excited about this. Thank you guys for including me. Thanks for funding it. Thanks for going through the program. Um, that's how it works, right? We can have an idea all day long. But if people don't have the courage to go through with it and the courage to fund it, then we'll never we'll never get any further.
2: Yeah. I have a question for you, though, do you have a what are your thoughts on nationally, like creating it like a structure with the expungement network? Do you see other groups in other states still actively working um, or even on the national level? You know, as states, you know, decriminalize completely cannabis and then hopefully as it's federally. Uh, decriminalized um, that you know this is like a framework that you can apply to each state that's already tried and true and proven to help more people across the whole country and then especially when things come you know when federally it changes you know still having to to fight those battles and 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 those are all expenses that people at every different level you know there's there's a lot of people out there that are um, you know unfairly doing time for cannabis and uh, you know I think that you know, do you have any thoughts as far as like expanding this whole idea and working with other states or any uh, any of your cohorts and, and, and any other uh, any other expungement programs?
1: So we are not reinventing the wheel, right? So we didn't create the idea that people deserve to expunge their records. This is something that happens in a lot of other states. But ju- the issue being a number one, the issue with running an expungement program anywhere, especially nationally is no criminal record is the same no court is the same no no process is the same this is the a a big barrier is there's no unified process for filing an expungement so at one place i could just file it and it be done at another place i have to go back to 1987 and buy a fax machine and fax in my request you know um we absolutely want to support efforts in other states to expunge records but a part of of creating these programs is ensuring that they're uh, sustainable. And so I think that I was a I was a chair for West Michigan Nonprofit Association um, for, from 2018 until 2020. And they're all afraid of cannabis companies, right? We don't know if we can take this money, it's drug money, even if it's legal. Um, finding nonprofits in general to really go out and, and tap into this market is hard. Once we, find, once we find somebody to go do it, and they're like, oh, wait, hey, they give money and they give money easily. Also, the IRS doesn't care. That's different. Um, what I will say is this. If you live in another state and you want to start expunging records, let's find attorneys and let's find cannabis companies. The same model can work in all of these legal states and they don't have to be recreationally legal, right? I do believe people were equally generous when it was just a medical, uh, medical only market. Um, and here's another thing. When I started, when I started expanding our prison support program all over the United States, I was like, I'm going to be in every jail, every juvenile detention facility. There's not anybody that's going to stop me from funding this, right? Like I got this. Um, the issue was, hey, how do you even budget for something where there's no consistency at all? Right, video calls at one federal center is not the same as video calls at another federal center. In state, um, whether public or not, are not the same cost or the same rules or the same regulations. Um, So when we created this program, at the time of its inception, it was not sustainable, right? I had this mission to go save the world and I didn't have the budget to do it because I was unable to budget a consist, consistently. Like, here's here's how much it will cost at this prison, here's how much it will cost at that prison. And this idea that I had, which was, let's go to every state and let's do it, was not sustainable. It wasn't working. Um, so I went to Michael Coburn and I was like, I want to provide free legal care. How do I do it? Um, and we worked together to, to form something that is, so being sustainable is one por- portion of it, but also being approachable, accessible, having the ability to f- easily find the application and apply, it is the other portion. So even if I have all the funding in the world and nobody goes to my website and applies for it, it means nothing. Um, I would also say that 100% of our reach, the way that we've been able to manage in these multi-states is due to networking with other multi-state operators, right? So um, the Drug Policy Alliance Conference, I went to my first one when I was 18 It was amazing. It was a lot for me. It was also the first time that I found that these problems that exist here in Michigan are mild compared to the problems that exist across the country. Um, There are a variety of, of states that don't do expungement at all. And there is no path to redemption. And Michigan for a long time was one of those states. In fact, there's only six states in the United States, including Michigan, with real comprehensive expungement programs, which means, hey, this works for a majority of the population, right? So we approve 64% of everybody that comes through our our applications, right? 64% of everybody has something they can expunge. That's, That's amazing because as I was saying before, Less than five percent of people went through with expungement uh, for the past 30 years of having the previous bill. Uh, uh,
0: Josie, that's uh, you know you, you start talking about other states. Something I've been thinking a lot about is sell a lot of products to people from Indiana, across the border, across the border, and like Wisconsin and Minnesota and uh, Ohio and you know those people from that are driving across their state lines buying a lot of Michigan cannabis they're putting themselves at risk and uh, um, it, of getting more charges in the meantime them buying the products are helping Michigan uh, cannabis um, you know uh, victims of the cannabis war in Michigan it's kind of ironic I don't know if ironic but it's just a weird situation where I want to help those people as soon as possible. So you made me think about that with the other states and yeah. You know, so think
1: a- about this, right? You go to somebody's. This is exactly what I'd say. You go purchase marijuana legally. This guy makes twenty-four million dollars this year. You go home, get arrested, and now you have a criminal record in Indiana, of all places, where you can't get it expunged. You can't do anything about it, and there are no services in your state. Right? I think I get so engrossed in the cannabis community, and I believe that everyone and their mother smokes pot, and they think I should too. But the reality is that that's not how it is. And this is real pioneer shit. Traveling across, you know, Midwest best, going to all the way up to Michigan, purchasing as much extremely expensive marijuana as possible, and driving back is real courageous bullshit. You know, and I remember doing this in Colorado and like stuff in the car and I mean not me, of course, officers, but um <laughs> it was cool, it was revolutionary, um it was fucking dangerous. And there are no services for these people. If you get caught in Indiana, you have a record in Indiana. There's no expungement process, there's nothing you can do about it. Um, and you will spend time in jail, right? My dad spent two and a half months in in County Vale this year for having a joint. I mean, that's just how it is. Thank you, South Bend, Indiana Police Force. Um, We are privileged in so many ways to live in Michigan outside of cannabis, I think. Um, Y'all know I'm I'm a gander lover, but we are so privileged to exist in a community where we aren't thinking about these things that Ryan's bringing up, which is, hey, people are coming here. They're purchasing marijuana and statistically somebody has to get busted. Right? It's impossible for all of these people. And I live right here in Southwest Michigan, where literally over 75% of all of our sales at these shops are out-of-state recreational users. Um which is great. I mean, that's fantastic. Also entered the same products that you could get here in in my in Buchanan, where I live, um, are approximately 40 to 50% more expensive than what they are up in Lansing or in Jackson or in these places that aren't border towns, right? So not only are we in tri- getting them over here, getting them to spend all their money here, but we're charging we're them an astronomical amount of way more than a typical wholesale markup and providing zero resources to best invest back at their communities, which is, I guess, okay in some of these places, but it's absolutely not okay when we are three miles from the Indiana border, uh, like we are here in Buchanan, like they are out in Coldwater, like they are in Constantine, and these places where um, I'm local, but the operators are not. So these, you've got all these big cannabis companies that are coming in um, and really taking advantage of these out-of-state markets. In many ways, right, charging them more money, but also knowing that they're taking this stuff back to their own home, um, and that they're really in line for prosecution for that.
0: Yeah, that's something that needs to be more, be thought of more, and just really dawned on me, because uh, I'm looking, uh, you know, to to get the message out before these states get legal, uh, you know, and trying to get things stirred up and um you know thank them thank them from for supporting us and you know i don't know if it's going to help them get legal faster or what but uh it's uh i'm just not going to travel to those sta- states if i poke too hard i guess but uh he does he brought something up just made me think about it um i really didn't uh, get to know you until am i legalized and you know, I thought about. I remember I was in prison still, and, and I remember we here, and it was like Rick and Jamie and Robin and Tim, and a bunch of people came visiting me, and they're talking about running, you know, going for legalization, you know, statewide, no funding, um, just gonna go out and collect three hundred thousand signatures and go for it, which sounds sounds about right for everybody back then. Jeff Hank. Uh, you know, and it, it took that craziness uh, or just that belief and having to do it, I guess, t- to get what it did. So you were on the board. Tell us about what that was like, especially, I, I believe you were maybe just 18 at the time, young and uh, when it first started and going around and, and talking about things like that. But then really that groundwork we laid and all those signatures and all that network, you know, that made, uh, you know, at, at that point, MPP kind of. Had a had an easy not an, an easier task than normal. It's a little bit different. Normally, nobody goes for legalization without a lot of funding. So, what was that like?
1: So, um, first of all, it was amazing. I had I was 18 at the time. I was the youngest person in the room. I always was, though. I was always the youngest person in the room. I was one of two visibly disabled people at any point, any function that I ever went to. Right, um, and that that was speaking highly. Um, and I was most often one of the only women there, right? And it was this big thing where, um, and I had started it really in the beginning, which is I have a disability in order to pre- exist in this, in this industry, which is the industry I want to build. So picture me 17 years old, a couple of years earlier, I had flown out to DC and I, they had taught me about safe access and how to speak about safe access um, and, and really ways to, try to convince legislators or the general public that medical marijuana works and that it's worked for me. Um, I am both visibly and obviously disabled, um, which which is a group of people that do get exploited here in the, in the cannabis industry, right? Um, I had launched Sons and Daughters United just just in a couple of months prior after meeting Ashley DeBall and realizing that there was a need for it. Um, and I was really running around the state and I was doing two things number one um i i just kind of have this thing about it right i'll tell you i just get in and i get the work done and i'm like fuck yeah like i love to work i love data i love spreadsheets um, i was going to state that semester so i just was also spending all of my money and all my time um doing things that w- weren't cool so uh we had done a couple legalization initiatives in in cities, right? And we were trying to do one in Bent Harbor, which we will talk about a whole other time because I need all the time in the world to complain about that situation. Um, but at the time we wanted to do the first 18 and up, right? All my friends are either have been arrested or currently in jail at that time for just smoking pot. Um, I'm from Bent Harbor. I grew up in and around the area. Um, and so it was always, I always have the soft spot. Um, for the folks down here anyways I met with Chuck Reeb, and we had begun talking about legalization and and the way that it would look and the idea just like (laughs) Ryan said was I was like okay well how much money do we have when's MPP coming in they're like we have no money MPP's not coming in (laughs) we think we can do this you know all by ourselves Um, so I went to a meeting and I was actually elected on the board Um, and the idea was People are going to talk about what about the kids, where do the kids fit in, and Sons and Daughters United would be there to be like, hey, we also are thinking about the kids, uh, but in a different way, and that cannabis prohibition really is for the children, Um, and that the only people that benefit from from criminalized cannabis are the cops and the drug dealers. I mean, that's really all that it is. Of course, I, I hate using the word drug dealer, but but that's what it was at the time right um just like in the 1990s my mom was a terminally ill patient using cannabis but she was not a cannabis patient she was a drug user like that's how it was. that's the terminology that they used um, when we finally put together the board uh we had this really great meeting and i remember jeff hanks saying we're going to get collect 350,000 signatures and i felt it in my soul right um, so we really hit the ground running and there's two things about legalization that I, I knew right off the bat. Number one, um, we were going to create the best legalization initiative to ever hit the United States, not the best, the world, not the best of the Midwest, not best second to whoever we did not We weren't the first ones. We didn't have to go through all the growing pains of, of Colorado. Number two, we already saw all the growing pains. We already know what's bullshit and what's not we were going to hit the ground running and we were going to run the first grassroots campaign to do it. Um, We immediately hit the floor. We started raising money. We hired Chris Silver to be a, the campaign manager we had our first big fundraiser at the, uh, the golf course out in ann arbor yep and um i do have this thing about dinners right we put out a whole bunch of of really high-priced dinners black tie dinners and people would like show up in a shorts and t-shirts and chris would be like oh are they supposed to wear them we're like they gave us five thousand dollars i don't give a fuck what they wear right <laughs> um, but this is how the whole thing was fun We was $100,000 or a million dollars through people we do, through caregiver grows through people who saw a future in cannabis and saw that future to be here in Michigan, right? Um, and then we went out to other places and we were like, hey, just so you know, Michigan has three times the population of, of Colorado. Like this is where it's at. Um, I got involved with my legalized and with legalizing marijuana here in Michigan, because I am a true gander, right? I love Michigan. I think we have um, the best weed, the best, the most accessible industry. Um, obviously, we also have a lot of other cool things. We have waterfalls, mountains. Uh, we grow more apples than anybody else. I'm on the Michigan trade. But what we do better what than anybody else of um, is we truly root for the, the underdog, right? The idea, and that's why we all have Alliance Jersey in our closet. <laughs> but we don't have to win it all the time to feel like we're winning. Yeah. Um. See, look at this.
0: That. <laughs> so, that's awesome, when
1: we, when we lost the, uh, well, uh not the election, but when, it didn't go through. Right. Um. There was not a single person that was like, "Oh fuck, that's not gonna work." All of us were like, "Hey, just another day here at the Lions. You know, <laughs> another chance to come back for redemption." So yeah. we teamed up, um, uh, Ryan. Right <laughs> We'll tell you that we tried to legalize Wear and Water Without Robin. It did not fucking work. Um, She came through. She got it done. Yep. But it was more than just the logistics portions of it, right? It was the people that went out and collected signatures for a whole goddamn year lost and said, Hey, I'll do it again. Went out and collected more signatures.
0: Yeah. And I
1: I think that's really what it uh, got us to legalization, right?
0: yeah it was just uh it was a group of i remember thinking about it in terms of, i mean it was a it was uh it was, it was a, a war um you know not not a, a war where you get shot at most most of the time but sometimes, it, you, if, sometimes you do but like yeah i remember thinking you know i felt like they were trying to cut cut me off um put me away and maybe stop some of this stuff and start doing that to a lot of people and they thought they, that would work Bouchard and everybody going and shooting going nuts, but it just created like like a, just a, a monster. Like where so many more people like uh, got involved. And I remember getting out of prison, and I was just like, holy shit! Look at all you, how many these new people that were involved. It was nuts, you know. Nobody have no most people didn't know, know who I was. I had to re, uh, reintroduce myself again to some of them, but. Uh, Anyways, uh, I got to wrap up. I do have a hard out. Uh, I want to thank Josie for coming back on. But before we go, I want to let Kevin and Tom say goodbye. I'll let uh, Tom go so uh, um, Kevin doesn't steal all his thunder.
2: (laughs) I just love you guys. You know, it's great hearing, you know, all the stories and, you know, what got us here. And just to see you carry on, Josie, with, you know, just the flames of, you know, keep keep pushing change and and making sure that you know we keep our eyes on the on the prize and that's making sure that everyone that is has been harmed by the war on drugs is vindicated in some freaking way in their lives and given you know you know given respect and that's that's the whole thing is you know equal dignity for everyone and you know we we love everything that you do. You have our support always. And, uh, you know, can't wait till we get to hang out. Kevin.
3: Yeah, you know what Tom said basically. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, um, I think it's great what you're doing, uh, Josie. is, And I, th- I feel like I've brought this up several times in the past that we have a responsibility uh, beyond just marijuana to, to help change other things and to do better for other people. We have we're very fortunate to be able to, to work in an industry we love and there's, it can be quite lucrative at times. And so to give back outside of that, um, you know, uh, to people with disabilities, uh, people that are in, incarcerated, maybe not even for marijuana, but I, I, I think that we, we still should be helping where we can. Um, I'd also, uh, I wanted to thank you, Josie, for, for continuing to bring uh, expungement uh, to the forefront. Um, you know, I, back back uh, you know 10 years ago i i applied for a for a fedex route um nine and a half years earlier i had gotten caught with 0.05 grams of weed and uh, it came up on my application to buy that route and they denied me my route uh and it kind of changed the path of my life you know i was going to do that route go back to school instead i ended up working full-time in marijuana and uh you know went in that direction but expungement's incredibly important um and if you if you're considering doing it. Uh, get it done, get it off your record, and move forward with your life. So Josie, thanks a lot for all that you're doing uh, for marijuana and for uh, for everybody out there outside of the marijuana industry with disabilities and uh, and people that are incarcerated. So thanks.
0: Josie, any uh, quick final goodbyes?
1: Did you see that invitation for me to go to Kalkushka? I'm gonna be up there smoking weed with Tom, Please go to the Great Lakes Expenditure Network.org. apply, apply for your friends, apply for your auntie, shoot us a donation. Thank you guys so much for having me on.
0: Thanks again, Josie. Well, uh, two thousand twenty-two is we're gonna do a lot more, a lot more work. Uh, we're really getting a lot of momentum here at the end of the year, and I appreciate everything. And uh, you. you know, thanks, uh, thanks also to Kevin and Tom for all the support. So. With that, we will see you next week. The Smoke and Rope Podcast is produced and hosted by me, Ryan Basor, the owner of Redemption Cannabis. Have ideas for episode topics or would like to be a guest on the show? Contact us at RyanB at ryanb.redemptioncanna.com. Thanks for being along for the journey.